Welcome to the Let's Talk International Education podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Benny, founder of Top Schools. We're here for you, whether you're a parent, grandparent, a teacher, as long as you're interested in education, you're in the right place. We work hard to bring relevant, up-to-date and possibly controversial information on all things related to education. In this first season, we've invited education leaders from around the world, as well as parents just like you and I. We're pleased you found us. Don't forget to subscribe. And here's today's episode. Good afternoon and welcome to this live Tuesday Talks with myself, Ruth Benny, and uh, my special guest once again, um, Raf from UK Education Guide. Uh, good afternoon, Raf. Afternoon, Ruth. How are you doing? Good morning for us. We're in the UK. We're both in the UK to talk to you today again about UK schools. And our topic this morning is about pastoral care. And uh, we do notice and we still understand that it's a very difficult time for parents in Hong Kong to decide or not to decide to either send their children to school, to keep their children in school in the UK when things are still quite complicated at the moment. So we wanted to cover off some of those concerns and answer your questions. So please do, if you have any questions, pop them in the comments box below. So let's kick this off, Raf. Um, what are some of the common concerns that our, our parents and our families are talking to us about at the moment during these difficult times? I mean, there's so many. And, and I mean, frankly, pastoral and, and well-being blend across all, all facets of, of a young student's life, doesn't it? I mean, particularly with the families we've been working with from Hong Kong recently, a real big aspect of, of their well-being challenges recently is obviously the, the the lockdown that they've been under and also the, the real difference in terms of restrictions that they've faced in terms of having a really normal childhood experience. So I think what's been really interesting for us is just is working with the families to help their children effectively come to the UK, but to find freedom because unfortunately they've been locked away and and it's been really interesting how the not being able to really explore their opportunities and actually do things has significantly impacted on their academic outputs, um, which yeah. has just been staggering. So I know that's a little bit off on a tangent as opposed to just well-being, but it is fascinating. And I think, obviously, we can't not mention COVID in all of this and how that's absolutely particularly put the Hong Kong students and families and, and really kind of flipped their experience and, and put it on their head for them. So it's been great for us because we've supported loads of students in transitioning mm -hmm. to the UK and, and making a really positive change. Mm, but it's still been super difficult. Look, personally, I am also one of those parents who took my children to the UK during actually at the quite early on um, my son I've just had a Facebook reminder my son was on a plane one year ago and my daughter about two years ago but it's still not without its complications so we still have difficulties in traveling home to see families so we're dealing with extended periods of separation for children who are in boarding school here potentially Right. So, so what are some of the ways that parents can manage that, that, that separation? I think the, the first things first is kind of understanding that's going to be quite a high risk. And what we found with a lot of families, it's, it's actually it's not just the not seeing the young individuals or the families for a long time. It's the uncertainty that's actually been as much of a as, as much of a weight on the shoulders of the families as anything else. And I would say the one advantage we have going into now is that we kind of have 24 months experience of of this. And actually, that the kind of the, the fundamental things we talk to the parents and, and the children about is how do you like, emotionally get yourselves ready for this, if that makes sense? Has the child ever been away from home before? And like what has their what have their previous experiences been that will enable them to do that? Do you, and it's all about for us what structures you build around the young individuals and the families 
in the UK. So do they know anyone in the UK? Um, have they even been to the UK before? And spending a lot of time really understanding that young individual and working out what support frameworks you can put around them that enable them to have the highest probability of success. But the reality is it will be tough. But if you spend time with the children as we do and really make sure that kind of all their needs are catered to to the best of the ability, but be under no illusion that, as we know, that the travel restrictions are still quite significant. Yeah, I think it's really important also to make sure that the school understands, because I'm seeing quite a divergence in this. You know, I speak to schools, obviously, as you do every, almost every day, and some of the schools in the UK really don't quite understand the struggles that Hong Kong families are still facing. Because in the UK, we are now talking about COVID as a historical event, right? It's past tense. So I think it's really important to choose a school and a house mistress or house master that understands on a daily basis, the family who are back in Hong Kong are still experiencing quite a complicated lifestyle, shall we say. So, so do, you know, obviously we will guide parents to, to choose the schools that do. And so that would that would that follow then, Raph? Do you think that it would tend to guide students to choose schools that have a relatively significant number of Hong Kong families in the school? I think it, it depends on a number of other factors. So I would say primarily, yes, absolutely, that is correct. The schools that have more of the students from Hong Kong, they're probably slightly more clued up on the situation just because they're around it. But I think it's also bear in mind, if the family has other relatives in the UK, because I think this can also be a really huge factor in determining what school that we might send the young individual to. So yes, that is a key factor, but if you've got local relatives in, in a certain area, or even that the young individuals have been to an area before, can actually be a really big factor in, in mitigating some of the, the pastoral challenges. So for us, it's as we always do, really look at the whole experience of the student holistically, and kind of go through each aspect of, of their life and say, okay, how do we create a framework around that? Mm. But absolutely, one part of that is that certain schools will have a slightly better awareness of what's going on in Hong Kong, as they might as well have a better what's going on in South America if they have more South America students. But what is great is the, the active and open discourse that we often have with the schools. I mean, for us, that's the really exciting thing about what we do is because we do know the schools and we have quite honest conversations with them. It enables us to work with the families to get a real instinct, a real flavour of, of that school's appetite and opportunities for working with Hong Kong families. because And understanding the nuances of the journey that they've been on for the last 24 months. I mean, a lot of these students haven't been in the classroom for a significant amount of time. These students might have not been able to participate in sport outside. They might not have seen that many other young individuals for many years. So for us, it's all about asking those really probing questions that dive into how are they going to get that young individual ready for the, the not just the academic rigor that they're going through, but on the pathway to success. So for us, that's what's so important about really marrying up the, the school and the young individual. And, and we're really passionate about that there is obviously a right school for each young individual. You've just got to take the time and really do your due diligence. And that's why we're really keen on. We do enjoy speaking to the young individuals as part of the placement process. I know a lot of um, other educational consultants, it's something that doesn't happen as much. But for us, it, it's a real piece of added value because having a conversation with the young individuals, having a conversation with the parents, we can build this really clear picture and, and and manage certain expectations, which for us is just really exciting. Um, and then it's great, obviously, when the students arrive and, and and creating a package around that. But that's why for us it's so important to really get to know the family, get to know the young individuals and marry that up with yeah. the school. 
So you've touched on there, Raf, you've touched on the idea of whether it's, you refer to the young individual, I refer to sometimes student pupil. Anyway, why, you know, whose choice is it, you know, and who's driving this whole process? And and we've talked extensively that we feel it, it's a family decision. So the young individual needs to be included because we're talking about children who are at least 11 years old or 10, you know, at the, at the youngest. So it's so, so, so important. So have you got any advice or tips for, for how parents should speak to their children about this whole potentially daunting idea of moving across the world to go to school? When is the right time, etc.? It's always going to be a tough conversation to broach. I mean, what, what's great for us is because we, we work with so many families and they're often the families will approach us as they're kind of broaching that conversation. So it's great because we can have we can talk to them about how different ways of presenting it. And obviously, it totally depends on on that young individual and what would be a good way of, of bringing it up to them. But one of the ways that we find is really quite effective is looking, getting them to analyse their own academic experience over the last couple of years. So getting them to reflect on how have my stud, what has happened to my studies, what has happened to my friendship group, have I developed, and even even individuals at nine, ten, they're they, they can do this and they're often quite good at it. And and get them to think about kind of. Have you got better at talking to people? Have you got worse, worse at talking to people? How do you think this might impact you in a few years? And just getting them to think about all of the, the kind of different facets of their life and if they've got better or that they got worse. Mm-hmm. I think another part of it as well is sort of saying, where, where could you go? What are the options? What are the alternative pathways? You don't have to hone in straight on the UK. Um, okay, where UK education guides would love it if you'd come to the UK, that's the reality. But equally, we work with lots of families that actually start working with us right at the beginning of the process where they might be looking at UK, but they might be looking at Spain. They might be looking we, at France, We have one now. Uh, we, yeah, we have a family now that are not entirely sure they're going to move to the UK. It's, it's a very valuable exploration to, to do. Yeah. So is it your advice that the children should always be involved and on board it's a difficult one. I mean, and what's really interesting is different cultures and different markets are all different. But UK Education Guide, we work a lot in South America, we work in the Middle East, we work all across the globe. So each market has a slightly different nuance in the family dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, it, it's like you said, Ruth, it's about working with the family and understanding what the family might might need or might might want. And, and it's difficult to give a clear answer because it's such a case-by-case basis, isn't it? Um, I mean, certain families, you're, you're going to be uprooted because of a, of, of a workplace. I mean, the reality is it might be a work decision of why you're going to the UK or it might. Be. So you've got to take in all those facts into consideration. But for me, all of this is about the family decision. And we always like to work with the, the parents and with the families. There are certain exceptions where we might not necessarily bring the young individuals in early in the process because the parents might be scoping out a few markets. So they don't want to come to us saying, oh, Raph and Ruth, we... You interview the, the young individuals tomorrow because we haven't actually told them that we might be moving because either they might not be moving or they might be moving to two different locations. So, again, it's all about the nuance of, of the family. Yeah, difficult question. Absolutely. Let's talk a bit about the schools in the UK, like some interesting initiatives or approaches to their pastoral care, especially, you know, maybe recent changes in, in light of, of covid I mean, there's so many different schools now, I mean, independent schools across the country have really in the last couple of years raised the bar in terms of well-being, in terms of mental health and organisations such as Mind and, and other sort of charitable bodies. And just the, the general consensus of the UK, well-being is on the forefront of the agenda, which is which is really exciting. So, so lots of schools now, absolutely. But what's great is now lots of schools 
It is within their mission statements. It is within their values. What I find interesting going on school websites now is it's much easier to find out the work they're doing in terms of pastoral well-being than it was a couple of years ago. And this is a real shift in terms of how schools are positioning themselves around well-being. There's loads of different initiatives all up and down the country, and, and different schools have different approaches on it. Some might be more of a helping hand. Others might be slightly more focusing on resilience for young individuals. And it's all about, for me, marrying up the right young individual with the right institution. So just to name, a, a, well, I won't name the institutions, but some take a on, really strong extracurricular approach. So, I mean, I was, a, yeah. I was at Ellesmere a few months ago, and you can really see what they do around their sporting and outdoor provision. Mm. I mean, it's it's so you're out there and it's and you can see that the way in which they've obviously the campus is, is relatively historic and you've got so much of their academic experience is also blended with where they are and and being deep rooted in what they do. Other schools take some really interesting approaches of how they blend themselves within the community. So what initiatives are they doing to help? local volunteering groups, local church mm. groups, local sporting clubs to embed themselves in the community. Because for a lot of, not just international students, but UK students, is that being, feeling a part of the place that you're within is, is such a key fundamental aspect of well-being and understand that you belong. So you see more groups, not that they weren't doing the community activities before, but, but spinning it more as a, as a well-being and a, and a collegiate approach and bringing that all together. But that's something the independent sector has always done. The independent yeah. sector has always gone out there and engaged with the community. And there's a service element of the Duke of Edinburgh Award embedded in it. So, you know, which which personally I think is a fantastic programme. One, one school I was talking to the other day is St. Lawrence College in Ramsgate, and um, they've actually got a, a survey. So, you know, obviously, as parents, we want to have reporting back on our children's academics, but they're actually reporting back on the children's well-being. And they've got an interesting approach to, to how they do that. So I thought that was that was an interesting, which we'll find out more. Yeah, I mean, definitely, there's just a heightened awareness for sure, as there should be. However, I mean, we are seeing, you know, there are some concerning incidents happening in schools. And I think that, like, sometimes people, parents ask me about bullying, and they might ask you. So let's be honest and authentic and admit that there have been some concerning incidents of teenagers doing things that teenagers do. But I think that the thing is, is how does a school respond to that incident? And how do they handle that? And how do they communicate to the children? Say, for example, the war at the moment, there are you Ukrainian and Russian students at schools in the UK, probably in most schools, they're both of these nationalities sitting in classes together. And so that's a difficult, potentially a difficult situation. It's how does the school respond to that? And how do that? And again, I see a very clear divergence in some schools are handling it superbly and others not so much. So I think that that would be an interesting question to be asking the schools at the moment. Absolutely. I mean, one of the key points of differentiation that I've really found visiting schools over the last couple of months, it's been exactly that. And it's been the question that I've, I've been asking because it, it signals so much more about that institution and how they engage those young individuals in political discourse and also the appropriate way in, in, in entering in political discourse. And I'll be honest, I've been really impressed by some schools in the way that they have opened up the debate, because you're absolutely right, Ruth, you you quite often the case that you will have Russian students, you have Ukrainian students, you have, and there's certain schools that have managed this so well. And for me, that just speaks volumes, not just in, in what's going on in, in the current situation in the Ukraine, but in terms of how they deliver all aspects of their pedagogy. Absolutely. Because, it, and that for me is a really exciting thing to explore. When a school is has the ability 
to look at moments in life as they go on in that moment and develop not just their curriculum around them, but develop all their other aspects of learning to deliver not only a response to what's going on, but also uses a teaching vehicle. I think yeah. is the most exciting. I mean, for me, that is when education has done at it, its finest. And there's been a, a few institutions that I've been very impressed with recently going around and, and seeing what they're doing. Do you want to name check then? No, I'm going to be good. I'm not going okay. to, only because it's quite is a, a political topic. But you're okay. absolutely right that some schools aren't doing it. So some you... schools have absolutely, some schools have mm. not wanted to, 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 to pick up on it. And not saying I understand that, but I would imagine that that would be not less 20 years ago. The, the basic PR response to it would be, let's just not talk about it. We'll do one assembly on it. And then it's very kind of, British kind of, about this. <laughs> yeah, no, exa- exactly. Whereas some schools, they're, they're bringing it into the classroom. They're having debate and discourse around it. I interviewed a student the other day, actually. And um, so when we work with the, the, the young individuals and particularly when we're prepping them for sixth form entry or we're having a conversation with them for year nine entry, we ask them questions about politics just to get a gauge for kind of what they're interested in. I had the most wonderful conversation with this young individual about what's going, what wonderful is the wrong word, but impressive conversation mm-hmm. with what's going on in, in the Ukraine. And this, this young individual is sort of only 13, 14 years of age. And I was just absolutely taken aback by their ability to absolutely not dissect the whole situation and critique their own understanding. And for me, I was just... I was really taken aback by it because these are things that even even as adults, I mean, workplaces are struggling with this as a challenge. Yeah. Um, so um, for me, there's certain schools that are doing this really well. Yeah, and you would hope then that if an, an individual was having a particular a personal crisis of sorts, that that would translate to the sorts of support that the, so it's so important for parents to ask the right questions and I guess that's where we come in right so it's really about understanding what are the right questions to ask the school to ascertain or to allay any concerns or worries that you may have about sending your child to school in the UK it serves as a reasonable summary because we are out of time So in choosing a school, you know, pastoral care has been our topic. It's a big topic. And if you're interested to discuss more about what the UK schools have to offer in terms of their pastoral care and everything else, then we'll put our, um, you have our contact details and we work with um, RAF of UK Education Guide for our UK school placement. So thanks once again for joining me today, RAF. We'll be talking again very soon. And thank you for watching. And I've been Ruth Benny from Top Schools. Thank you and see you next time. Bye. Thanks, Ruth. Catch you later. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the Hong Kong education system and parenting and education news and trends, check out our back catalogue, all available to download for free. You can also head over to our YouTube, Facebook or website for lots of free, useful information for parents and educators. Links in the show notes. Until next time.